This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me for the 95th minute of Michael Mann's Crime Opus Heat is a man that I, I mean, when you say they wrote the book on something, like this guy literally wrote the book, the BFI classic on heat. Um, He's the editor of BFI. Um, Sight and Sound magazine. His name is Nick James, and I've been dying to talk to him since the inception of this podcast. Nick, thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. Well, listen, listeners, I can assure you that if Blake has a dartboard, it has my picture. Because <laughs> this guy has been trying to chase me down. A little, little bit like Vincent Hanna is trying to chase down Neil for... <laughs> For months, and uh, I've been elusive for all sorts of stupid reasons which I can't explain, but uh, I'm glad to be here now. Oh, thank you, Nick. Look, thank you. And even Nick had actually said that to me in a message, something like, I very much appreciate your tenacity. And I was like, well, you know, this is the person that is doing one heat minute, so I suppose that's a good thing. These This crazy uh, Michael Mannion professionalism is rubbing off on me in more ways than one, but uh, just hopefully without with less criminality. Um, so, look, we're... We're at the culmination. Um, For you guys listening, we're recording this a little bit earlier than you're hearing it, Um, but we're at the 95th minute, and uh, just to be very specific for folks who are listening, like all around the world, um, there's a Blu-ray version of the film that is the theatrical version that hasn't been tweaked, um, where at precisely an hour and four, sorry, um, one hour and 34 minutes um, uh, uh, on the dial um, is on. And that is, um, I know a little bit different even on, even on Nick's own personal DVD of Heat and it's on different in every version that you seem to get for some reason. Um, But uh, this very minute is like the final culminating minute of the iconic Kate Manalini's conversation. Um, And I just want to read, I'm going to read a passage from Nick's BFI classic heat talking about this very thing um, uh, because it's it, it, it even has my scribbled notes in here God from 12 years ago um, they recognize their kinship it amuses and touches them there's only time left for threats and warnings each issues one that is a duplicate of the other the gist is that they like each other but if either one has got to shoot the other in the course of action they will not hesitate and so right now we're right on the precipice of that minute. So I'll let's let's firstly quickly jump in. We'll let you guys listen to the minute, and then Nick and I can dive in and have a uh, have a great chat about it. Great. You are going down. There's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in and I got to put you down? Because no matter what, you will not get my way. We've been face to face, yeah. But I will not hesitate, not for a second. 
Maybe that's the way it'll be. Or who knows? Well, maybe we'll never see each other again. There it is. Nick. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly devastated because on this podcast, there's a very few minutes that do it perfectly, but I just really wish that as uh, for this minute that attacked on that great sort of little smile, little glint at one another at the end of this, uh, at the end of this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I really think the little quarter smile that, that Pacino gives at the end of it is just killer. Yes. Um, Yes. This, this, whole, this whole sequence has so much more acting in it than I remembered because I've, I've come back to this after a long time, you know. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, there have always been intense actors. And these, these guys, I think this is the pinnacle of their careers. I don't think they've been as good as this since no. in any of the films. Neither of them has been as good as this since. So this is a kind of peaking, uh, a mutual peaking as they look at each other in a mirror uh, that kind of mirroring of each other's personality, their comparison of their professions. Um, and it's kind of electrifying to see this acting that's going on. And, you know, it, it's the little breaths, it's the little eye movements, it's, you know, the sideways looks, the, when, the moments when they lock each other's eyes together. It's all so perfect. Yes. Uh, and, um, and yet it's also giving us a kind of picture of not just macho bravado, which is what the language is telling us. Yes. Tremendous vulnerability in yeah. both of them. Yes. Know, a kind of exposure, which you don't expect. And you get it less from Neil maybe than you do from Vincent because Vincent's digging and Neil's protecting. But um, it's just fascinating how... how uh, Man has managed to get these performances. I mean, obviously, there, there's always a competitive element to what's going on uh, in an acting scene between two greats. They want to be at their best, and I think that's they bring out the best in each other. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I I love exactly what you said around the reveals and the peeling away of each character can even be in a sideways glance because I love that in just what we see because you catch right the very the very minute that we're watching you hear you know, Vincent deliver the brother, you're going down, you know, is essentially. Yeah. And before, but when Neil says there's a flip side of this coin, there's this phenomenal pause, which almost like checks the exits, which like, I'm about to deliver a threat. It's a very measured threat, but it's just that like, how much do I reveal of these guy to this guy right now of what I'm willing to do to him? And it's a, it's a, it's a, and his instinct is to check the exit. Then it's, it's exactly as you said, the reveals are almost in, how they're preparing the words that they're going to say to each other. And it's the locking of that gaze. It gives me chills. You, I've watched this, you know, I, I, I tell folks who are listening to the show, I kind of watch Heat in now this weird protracted 20-minute like revolving circuit where about, I'm watching about 20 minutes of how it's going. And I don't think, you know, after all these electrifying conversations, you know, that are sort of defining the emotional core of the movie a little bit earlier than this conversation, you get this one and there's just... The energy, there's sparks flying. And I agree with you, that competitive nature for these two guys, yeah, there's, there's no, there's nothing that comes close really for these guys after this. This is exactly, <laughs> I think maybe the insider is and close for Pacino, but it's no, it's not, it's not this performance. Yeah, and, and you know, also they're, they're still handsome at this moment. You know? <laughs> yes, that they're, is. They're, like... they're, they're, 
poised. They're poised between, you know, middle-aged handsomeness and, you know, what we, we know has come since for all of us, you know, and for me you know, <laughs> and you. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it, – and that – that's one of the things I love about cinema. You, you, you appreciate it on one level when you see it the first time and then you come back sometime later mm. and there's all this extra resonance that time has given to the film. Yes. That, that's, that comes, comes with time. Yeah. I think you're right about that. That's something we haven't really talked about, about the being the sort of the right look and the right feel. And a few people have asked me along this journey and I was just thinking about like, men that are handsome as soon as you said that i was like got peter o'toole is there a more handsome man when you watch lawrence of arabia than peter like a peak of handsome as far as his everything about that role he needed to be is perfectly handsome and then you see him you know much later in something like which is a pretty god-awful movie but he is so spectacular in it which is troy um uh you know you see him next to brad pitt at the peak of his you know beauty um at that time and very sort of but but then the resonance there is for Peter O'Toole is like, I was once this beautiful guy that's standing, <laughs> that's standing in front of me. Um, so it's, it, there's a whole other, there's a whole other knowing like uh, undercurrent of, you know, all of their history that's coming into that performance as well. That's right. And I think actors have, have a, an extra different relationship to his, to time and aging that, than we do because you know, the images of their youth are with us forever yes. and with them forever you know? so it's it's whereas we we can hide ours away <laughs> <laughs> yes we, we're not recording the video of this podcast but we can hide, we can just have the voices and and we're not being scrutinized with gorgeous 35 millimeter <laughs> prints um or 4k yeah um uh, this what what do you think what do you think is some of that like lightning in a bottle uh, and that at this particular time in their middle age that and this particular script what do what are your thoughts about how these guys come to it because i think that's something i haven't touched too much on is just the lure of this competition like do, does that is that further go to what we're talking about around you know, these guys, the right time, the right time of their careers, that, you know, lovely, friendly actor competition. They want to elevate one another by acting alongside really other great people. Is, is that something that has stuck out for you upon revisit of this? You know, just even the collection of phenomenal actors that are in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I do think that this particular scene, you know, I think man has been very clever in setting it up. He shot it, you know, you can tell the cameras are at quite a distance, even though, these guys are sitting opposite each other. Yes. So the crew are distant. The the, the extras around them are, are all around them making, you know, I'm quite sure that a lot of that diegetic extra noise is laid on afterwards and not yeah. happening at the time. Um, so, you know, they get the chance to focus on what they do best. They get the chance to, um, I don't know how many takes of this there were. I suspect that um, there were not a fantastically huge number. No, because as you say, it's lightning in a bottle, lightning in a bottle, and, and maybe there are excerpts from different takes put together to make a, a composite somehow. But it doesn't feel like that, does it? When you're watching this, it feels like it's happening all the way through, shot live. Yes. Uh, even even though um, 
you know, uh, there's so much, as I say, so much facial acting going on. I think one of the great things about this scene is the acting is all in the face. Yes. Uh, and and as we've been talking about, you know, the 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 the, the, the little movements of the mouth, the little movements of the eyes, the the, the the moments when breath is taken, the you know, your thing about him checking the doors, absolutely. And so does Vincent check the doors once or twice yeah. too. Yeah. You know. Um, scanning because, the room, he, he's got yeah. that that great Pacino sort of double eye raise scan of the room over his head. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of you know, it's, it's some of what we see here that's so brilliant here later become begins to feel like shtick. Yeah, later in their careers begins yes. to feel, <laughs> you know, and that's I think that's you know natural um, that uh, actors after a certain amount of time, you know in their careers begin to have certain things they can't quite escape um, that come up every once in a while, especially if they're in a role where they don't feel like they have to work too hard. Yes. I mean, obviously, Nero's comedy and a, and a completely different kind of career. Pacino has become more and more exaggerated. And one of the interesting things about this scene for me is how, compared to the rest of the film, how quiet Pacino is in this particular scene. Yes. He damps him right down mm. when he's opposite Pacino. Because you know you've got that other hysterical stuff earlier, you know, in the in the film where he's going, "She's got a great ass," and all that, <laughs> kind of, uh, that kind of very uh, operatic acting that he does. But here, it's it's really tamped down, and the intimacy of it is it is just really fantastic. I just love that that's part. It's so it's so to the core of the character as well for Vincent because all the all the all the performative nature of everything that he's doing. Is you know for me when I look at when I look at those other um, interactions, a lot of them are with people he's trying to put one over, and so I love yeah. that when he arrives to Neil, it's like I'm not putting one over. Like the the the, the immediate shedding of there's not going to be really much performative nonsense with this guy because either a I'm going to spook him, um, mm. or b there's going to be violence, you know, and so it feels like he's like. I'm just going to go in there and we're just going to sit and have a conversation. And I, I, I agree. It's like some people um, who have been discussing the film with me along the way, I, I really want like my, my real feeling with Vincent's character along those ways. Is like he's developed a, a tactic and it's much like an actor developing a tactic that they can't escape. He's developing a tactic as an investigator the whole time that he's just going to act manic. And anytime he's sitting down with someone for one second, he might be really tempered and nice. And the next minute he's shaking the table, screaming at you. Like there's no, yeah. there's no middle ground. And then in this scene, even more so than in some of the scenes with Justine, who's his wife, you know, the wonderful yeah. Diamond Aura, he's like laying it all out on the table. And I love what you said earlier. Is that this is that exposure and vulnerability and, mm. and just being allowed to sit in it for five minutes in this lovely little intimate scene. It's, um, you, it's, you, can, you can sort of feel Neil kind of sitting there thinking, what is this? Yes. You know, you can, you can feel him, you know, uh, uh, going, why is he exposing himself to me? Mm. You know, this is a guy who's been to McNeil, you know, uh, <laughs> knows how to guard everything, his emotions, his body, everything. And you can see that big pause before he comes back with his own threat. Yes. Well, there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on in his face. Oh. It's like, what, how am I going to respond to this? How am I going to actually just show, you know, show that again? I'm, I'm going to just go back so that we can, we can relish in the watching of it because I, I, he, I love the breath. It's a big, it's a big inhale, and it's like, 
He's nodding. We're just going to take this away. He looks down. He looks at him. He's about to talk. He's nodding, calculating. Yeah. And then he has a glance to one side of the room, the other, and then bang, the delivery. So it's, a, he's chewing over that response. He's not, that's not a, that's not a um, pure emotional thing. He looks at him and almost there's a sense I love in just a fraction of it. It's like a sense of disbelief. Like, did this guy actually now, after all the sharing, is going to yeah. lay something down like this, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of wrote it out. You know, cameras on Neil, sideways glance, looks down, moves head, eyes back up on Vincent to camera left, little nodding with the eyes side to side. Yes. Uh, intake of breath, another sideways look, then there's a flip side to that. <laughs> you know. He smacks his lip after that. After that. Yeah. Just a little. There's, and, and just, I, I agree with you that there's more emoting and acting. Like if you wrote it out, guys, like I, I want to go, I, that could be my ringtone, Nick just reading Pacino's uh, exact facial expressions and eye movements. It's like if you went and wrote out just all the things that each of these guys do with the canvas of their amazing faces, you know, at the, at the peak of their careers, it's unbelievable how much business is happening, how much calculation, um, little reveals, eye twitches, and I love all of I love all of Vincent's on the opposite side, all the leaning in, you know, because that's one great thing yeah. that De Niro does is he he's not afraid to deliver quiet dialogue, you know, and he knows the movie medium is great for like zoning in on that nice, you know, Brando, very mumbly, quiet talk. So you see Vincent leaning in. It's so natural. It's like, oh, this guy's talking quietly. What am I going to do if I'm talking across the table? I'm leaning in to hear him. Um, and it's very sort of, you know, attentive and, and hanging on every word. And I think how these guys, uh, I think man actually said, and I'll, and I'll fact check it again, and I'm sure I will have talked about it during the minute, but I think it's the 11th take all in one go is the, is, is this final thing, the 11th take. And, and you're exactly right on that, Nick. Um, it is all the 11th take because I, right. I, I struggle the multitude of times I've watched this scene to see one of the complimentary yeah. shots look like it's out of place. It all feels perfectly organic. Um, but yeah, there's just so much going on here. It's unbelievable. Look at that face. Yeah, what you we've, just said we've, then. You, we've paused on this great face. I know. It, it's sort of semi-crumpled. Yeah. Um, it's almost like I'm, I'm going to say something semi-friendly, and it really is distasteful to me to say that to a cop, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Um, and, and one of the things I really like is that he, he does that, um, you, you know, uh, when he says – uh, when, when Vincent says to him, maybe that's the way it will be, or who knows. Um, and then suddenly Neil gets businesslike again. You yeah. can see him shut down. Um, he suddenly gets, well, well, maybe we'll never see each other again. You know? And yeah, it's, 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 so for folks who are really, and I know there are some, um, uh, people who listen, who do this. And so thank you firstly for, for listening, but the, the crumpled face, the smacked lips after Nick's brief description is exactly at the, uh, the 15th second of the minute, which is that great sort of, he's just done all the dance, um, that Nick described with his, with his gestures. Um, and we get to this moment and it's literally, there's sort of about it's the 54th second 
and his his face is completely blank. It is a it is a different business like approach. The visor has come down. Yes, you know? yes. Here's, here's the facade. We're back at the mask party. I'm going to put this on. There's no more of this sharing stuff. Or maybe we'll never see each other again. And just as the minute is fading out, you see Vincent's intensity's there. That quarter smile is just about to peek through. We miss it just by a fraction of a second. But if you just hold that frame... De Niro's face starts to soften and there's a bit of a smile. So the business is there. Okay, cool. We're done now. This is the end of this conversation. This has been fun. This is is going to be a strange story that I tell people. Remember that crazy cop in LA robbery homicide (laughs) who came and had a coffee with me? Um, That it feels like we're right in that, right in the pocket of that. God, these guys are good. It's amazing how good they are, Nick. And it's interesting also. It it is. and, And I love the way De Niro turns from being, a con into a prince. So when the visor comes down, he suddenly looks imperious. Yes. You know, he looks like, he looks like he's um, one of Machiavelli's princes, you know. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) So, so, you know, um, know, because it's the Italian thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, Which they share and which is all part of this dance. Yes. Uh, Incredible. Could this movie ever be made today? There... I don't think that. I don't think the kind of psychological intensity uh, of. I mean, because this this movie is really a remake of five other movies by Michael Mann. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's actually, he pours five other movies he made into this mold yes. to do the perfect version. For me, that's. I mean, that's how I see it anyway. Yes, um, and uh, and it's. You know, in the book, I kind of angst about how bombastic it is and, and how how it's kind of um, it's attempts to be a masterpiece, which it kind of is uh, also have their, their, their slightly kind of vulgar side to it. Yes. You know, uh, it's that old thing about how um, and I think it was a great family guy joke talking about the Godfather. Someone's like, it's the greatest movie ever made. And and I think Peter Griffin says the line, it insists on itself, Lois. It insists on itself. There's a vulgarity and when you know you're making something really beautiful and wonderful and brilliant is that kind of has that quality. Yeah. So I yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. that. I can see that. Yeah. So you know, um so when it when when you when I come back to it, uh and I and it's quite clear that in Michael Mann's subsequent films, he has not spent quite so much time dwelling no. on the characters no. in the way that he has in this film. And also the thing about masculinity in Michael Mann, which, you know, he was obviously deeply you know, exploring himself, I believe, through these films, exploring his own masculinity, his own difficulty with the opposite sex, you know. Uh, and this is the film where he tries his hardest to come to a kind of rapprochement and, and then a, be- a deeper understanding of uh, uh, why relationships with women for guys like these obsessive workaholic people like Michael Mann himself are so difficult. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you know, uh, uh, and it's the most successful of any of his films in doing that for me. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 it feels plausible all the way through. Um, yeah. And, and, and uh, it has a dance, all of the, relationship exploration or also has a dance that I've kind of I've only started noticing during this obsessive pursuit which is 
you know, you have a scene with Justine and Vincent talking about how he's not willing to share and be open. And then a couple of seconds later, you've got a scene between Donald Breeden and Lillian, so the lovely Dennis Haysbert, um, uh, alongside, oh, I've just, I've blanked on her name, but I'm going to get it um, because I want it to be Kim Staunton. Um, and you've got a man who's bearing his everything and completely sharing. <laughs> like, it's, it's just these beautiful little, like, scene to scene, and you've got, you know, uh, you've got all this withholding and then this lovely sharing, and then you've got this, you know, this, oh, this could be, you know, you know, let's have a look at what a sunny, you know, sunny, fun, the beginning, it's almost like, and then the Neil and Edie conversation is this, like, second date conversation, even though it feels almost really strained after all this, like, deep authenticity of all these other conversations, it's it's the same fun and abandoned that they're dancing at the party together and being silly with one another, you know, there's just, it's all these great echoes, and I think it, like like you said, it's almost like he synthesized all these ideas so perfectly and this movie gives it the breath to actually do it because I think some of like scale, it, yeah, the scale in other films, um, you feel like you know in any of his films it's like some parts expand a focus on maybe one character and don't and don't have the tapestry that this does. Like I still think the Don Breeden character might be one of my favorite characters in the movie just because of he's like a little microcosm. Uh, of a story of the tragedy of sort of American incarceration just happening at the same time as this huge crime epic. Um, and, and I think that that adds so much color, um, yeah. uh, like an, and, and texture to this, you know, this huge, this huge epic. No, I think that's true. I, I mean, you know, obviously coming back to it for this, I've, I've really just focused on this and, and I haven't rewatched really the whole film again. Uh, it's been about five years now since I watched it again. Um, I do come back to it every four or five years, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 because it's such a, a, you know, it is one of the, you know, it's not quite in my top ten films of all time, but it is it is in the top twenty. It's in the top twenty. Oh, well, look, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah. You did write the yeah. book on it, so I can understand how, in some yeah, ways, it, you might abandon it. Some, some to some degree, you know, having written the book on it. I mean, you know, uh, it's interesting that you asked me to do the, the coffee house scene because I think that's the one bit of the book i could have done better actually um I'm well, this, this podcast is your opportunity nick to get out everything you are <laughs> i'm happy to look, in a way i think i was talking about the gestures i was talking about you know the way that the breaths the movements the 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 the, the, the kind of you know because there's a wrestling match here between intelligences there's a wrestling match also between vanities yeah uh, going on in things yes uh and i don't didn't get to the bottom of that in the book and uh yeah i think having but this I, conversation but, now is filling that out yeah but, but i'm like you you know nick's great book was published first published is 2002 right 2002 uh, yeah yeah i think so, so we're talking yeah. 60 and i think some of the things that we're discussing in this podcast and some of the great things that you've already said about this particular minute and scene are gaining like this, um, are gaining like a certain vintage now that we've got another 20 odd years on these guys' careers because you can actually yeah. truly reflect. Because I think some people, you know, we'd watched a bit of an ebb and flow in both of their careers, you know, they'd, they'd had these crazy new Hollywood peaks, you know, well, we've got coming back together, yes, you know, we've got the Irishman coming, the Irishman, up. <laughs> exactly. you know, that's going to be really interesting. 
you know, in the in the light of heat, it's it, going to be really interesting. And so we're now only just coming to like literally their what is that? We'll just jettison what whatever that other terrible movie was that they were together in. Um, but yeah, we'll yeah. whatever that was, um, uh, righteous kill. And but but I think I think when I look back at these guys, that conversation and going back to these guys at the peak of their careers, uh, one thing that strikes me as really unique. Uh, and why I I think there's this sort of inimitable quality with trying to make Heat again, even if you just made a direct remake with actors now, is what actors have had 20 years of baggage acting alongside one another that could sit in that coffee house where you'd be even remotely as excited. There's just they don't, there's not two actors that exist on the same. And you know they, you know you have a chat about oh look oh Brad Pitt and Leah are about to act in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's like well. Who, yeah. I mean, no offense, I love QT, and I, I'll be I'll be there on opening day to buy a ticket and watch the film. But it's like they don't share the same, you know, spark no. energy across from one another. That's that's a completely you different you thing. Feel, you don't feel a kind of struggle behind their careers. Yes. Well, I think you know you can still feel with De Niro and Pacino that they came from the streets originally. Yeah. Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio, no, <laughs> no, they didn't from the streets. No, no, that, no. They, they weren't. They weren't acting in a New York where they had to to get to acting school. You're avoiding getting stabbed and mugged most days. Yeah. Most yeah. days. Um, there's yeah. There, there's something about that. Yeah, the, these guys were in the, you know, the 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 what is it? Uh, the midnight in Paris, nostalgic crime New York that we can see in, you know, Taxi Driver. (laughs) Those guys were in that. They were in the mean streets, literally and figuratively. Um, But also, you know, to to have that same thing of being in a movie like The Godfather Part 2 in 74 together and then then never being in the same scene. Yeah. But yet having achieved a kind of equivalence that was really interesting. In a way, Pacino slightly more the classical actor, and De Niro the wild boy. Yes. And at some point, that kind of swapped round. Yeah. In an interesting way, in the career, it kind of you know moved. They moved in opposite directions for a while. And um, yeah, I know it, 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 the, the, my respect for these guys is just bottomless. I mean, I think they're incredible actors even now, and even if even if they've turned in the odd, should we say, slightly lazy performance <laughs> once or twice, uh, I'm sure either one of them would kill me if if, if uh, I was in their presence. <laughs> Everyone's got to do the Michael, the famous Michael Caine. You know, I didn't see the movie, but I saw the house that it. You know, I saw the house that the movie bought, or whatever that phenomenal. You know, to live by don't quote. Bring, don't bring Michael into this. <laughs> oh God, Nick. Nick's already done it. His what I've been thrilled about this, and just in a secret part, listeners, is whenever any one of the guests, including myself, ends up doing a Pacino or De Niro impression, I get super excited. But I, now I'm even more excited because Nick just dropped a little hint of a Michael Caine impression, which hasn't yet happened on the podcast. Well, you know, um, I'll refrain from any others. Uh, yeah, great. Um, Nick, look, there's probably another hour that we could talk, but the the the, the challenge of these minutes sometimes is um, yeah, yeah. We sometimes have a lot of action, and we've just got one of the most perf- perfect, perfect gestured, you know, uh, perfectly acted minutes at the peak of it. Um, so thank you so much for coming on to One Heat Minute. 
for well, being a part of the show. Well, thank you. It's been a real privilege, especially to get this particular moment. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to have it. Thank Gu- you. Guys, I'm, I'm thrilled that Nick came on the show. Um, if you, obviously, you can chase him down um, on Twitter at Film Nick James, as I've been doing. Um, uh, uh, please don't harass Nick on Twitter. Um, just If you want to check out what's happening with Nick and BFI, you can check him out on Twitter there. If you want to pick up the amazing book published in 2002, it's the BFI Classic, um, uh, Modern Classics, Heat. Um, another guest, a great guest of the show, Manola Dargis, a friend of the show, wrote up uh, the LA Confidential one. Which um, um, and and is credited in and actually credited in Nick's uh, opening. Um, Nick, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Wouldn't have had it any other way for you to be in the conversation scene with me. So thank you so much, um, yeah. guys. Thank you for listening. Um, thanks to Paul Davies for our lovely theme tune, and thank you for Garth Franklin for our web design. And thank you guys uh, for being part of this crazy journey. I've been Blake Howard. I've been chatting to Nick James, um, editor of BFI Sight and Sound. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Blake. Thanks, guys.